Hello and welcome to the Robert A. Heinlein Book Club. And in this episode, we'll be finishing up our look at Farmer in the Sky uh, by Heinlein, published in 1950. This is his fourth uh, of the of the boys' novels of the juveniles that he published out of, I think, 12. I was just counting it the other day. He wrote, so we're about a third of the way through the juveniles, and there's a lot coming up that I haven't read before. Um, as I said in the last episode, I am really enjoying this book. I think this is up to this point his best of these in this series in that it really um, I like how it's grounded in like things like ecology and in the pioneer kind of settler experience in a way some of the other books aren't. Um, I think when I contrast this or I look at this book in the context of like the man who sold the moon, I, I'm really starting to think that even if this is not Heinlein's intention, it's just a byproduct of him being such an American an Americanized writer, that a lot of these things kind of come off as metaphors or, or simulacrum of, of America's own history. Um, and I think that's especially true here and we see like the experience of the colonists to Ganymede. The first half of the book basically deals with getting to Ganymede. We're not even in, he's not a farmer in the sky until halfway through the book. And then we spend the second half of the book exploring what that actually means and is going to entail and the struggles that uh, they're going to have to go through to become true homesteaders. So it's the, now in, in Red Planet, we had a very dramatic movement of resistance against the authority on, on Mars. Um, here, the fight is similarly against the people in charge on Ganymede. Not so much the colonial authorities at home. They're, they're so distant. They really can't be much of a threat. Um, but the authority on Ganymede is not that well-developed either. It's more of a petty tyranny that is made possible by the fact that the, the recent colonists, the recent settlers, don't have anywhere else to turn to. They're basically dependent on what's available to them. And basically, they were sold a bill, bill of goods by the colonial authority back on Earth. They were promised all sorts of things that obviously this colony would not be able to hand, you know, provide. And it's not that easy. It's not like the New World in this way that they couldn't just grab land. You, you can grab land, but it's not going to be able to grow crops until you, you know, seed it with pay dirt and, and see that pay dirt expand and, and, and enrich the soil through bacteria and worms and these other means. Um, Questions about how to actually do that is something that's discussed in the book, I think, quite well, which is one thing I like about this is Heinlein is such a math and, and kind of physics guy that he, he actually confronts his own prejudice against ecology and kind of comes away saying, I'm, I'm wrong about that. Ecology actually is a pretty important field if you want to you know, terraform Ganymede. If you want to do that, you're going to have to learn ecology. You're going to have to understand how species Inter, interrelated on that. But I, I'm kind of um, speed wrapping and getting ahead of myself a little bit. My main point is um, their dependence on this, these local, the local urban authority on Ganymede. 
means that their resistance is going to not be quite as dramatic as in Red Planet because it was a big corporation that they were fighting against that was outright oppressing them directly. In a way, it's hard to see how these people in Ganymede, the people who came first and settled first, are wrong. They're not entirely wrong. Yeah, they're saying you got to be sharecroppers, essentially, if you want to survive here. But again, that's just the material conditions of where they're at. Um, and it's not particularly exploitive in this case. It's which I wonder if this is how Heinlein saw early American history, which was highly exploitive to labor. But um, but nevertheless, the, the the experience of becoming dependent laborers is such an American experience for so many of the people that came across the Atlantic in the colonial period, despite American fantasies about being the settler paradise and, and the pioneer country of individualism and all that. The reality is there is a dependence. Even when you get to the American West, after the Civil War, you have the cowboy and the independent gold uh, guy panning for gold. But in reality, it's big corporations, big ranchers that are dominating things. And most workers are dependent either on that or eventually the government for jobs. So much of the West, despite their rhetoric and ideology and myths, is dependency on big institutions. So I get, it's all getting kind of muddled here the more I talk about it, but I, I still think there's something to it at its heart. Um, my earlier point is like the, the, the people who were already on Ganymede are not wrong. They came. They built up the colony. They prepared the soil. They started farming. And... In a way, it's Earth sending them people without really their consent and permission when they're not ready for them. Ganymede was not ready for an influx of all these uh, settlers. They don't have equipment. They don't have uh, enough pay dirt. They don't have uh, even, they have enough food. That's the one thing Ganymede seems to have in bundles is food. And, and we'll get a little bit maybe into why their agriculture is so successful there. You might think, you know, how could that be? I think Heinlein kind of does a pretty good job in explaining away why Ganymede is so prosperous. But this is a real contrast with Earth because Earth is starving. Earth is all the food is rationed on Earth. There's not enough to go around. But on Ganymede, there are. There's a, it's a cornucopia again. The American metaphor is not far under the surface here. But nevertheless, they're not capable of absorbing this population at this rate. Um, so they're basically like, the only thing we can do is, is make you essentially sharecroppers or wage laborers for other established farms. And that will pay your food until such time we can like actually have the equipment and the pay dirt to seed your own farms. Before you can become homesteaders, you have to like go through this process. So that is the struggle of these people is to become autonomous homesteaders. It's not the glorious revolution against uh, some evil corporation. It's, it's the struggle against the material reality of, of being on Ganymede. And I, and I think that's really, really, really well done here in the book. Now, there are some advantages to agriculture in Ganymede. One is they have complete control of what biological entities are brought into the, into the moon, well, the, the Ganymede's on a planet, right? It's the moon of Jupiter. So I should probably say moon, but don't be confused. I'm not talking about Earth's moon. Um, if they have complete control because they can say, we want this bacteria, we want this seed, we want this, 
animal, whatever, we don't want things that are going to ever be pests. So, for instance, there's no need to weed. There's no need. Uh, there's no insects that are going to hurt harvests. There's no fungi or parasites or anything that's going to potentially be a plague on the crops. And and he he actually goes through the process of how this was done. Like when they went on the ship, everything was decontaminated. They were given a, like a certain kind of super shower that totally ripped off any um, microorganisms that might not be wanted there. Now, how is this 100% possible? I don't know, because we bring so many bacteria in our stomach or whatever, but maybe they dealt with that too. But uh, that's the idea. And I, I think it's plausible that you could sort of maintain this for a while. I think eventually life will, will find a way, I suppose. And so there's some optimism there. But maybe eventually, by that point, maybe Ganymede is enough on its own that it, it can endure an invasive species or two. But, uh, and th that kind of gets into the good ecology that's discussed here. The heart of the eco ecological discussions is on like creating soil, terraforming questions, but also the question of invasive species, right? And of course, not far, far into the surface here is the argument that humans actually are the invasive species on Ganymede. And there's no native predators. There's no, no natural check on that because they have complete control over what they bring in that they'll be able to quickly spread over the planet. So this gets us back all the way back to the earlier conversation we had you know, in the last episode coming from the early chapter of this book is the Malthusian crisis on Earth. Um, when you first read this book, you think, okay, there's a Malthusian crisis. I have my problems with that whole narrative, but let's just take it for granted. There's not enough food, not enough, you know, too many people, too many mouths to feed, so what are we going to do? And then the solution becomes... Let's um, export some people to Ganymede. You know, great. That's simple enough. But when we finally get there, we realize this is not going to be the solution to the problem at all, right? The number of people that actually go to Ganymede in a given year is quickly outnumbered by the new mouths that are being born, the new bodies being born on Earth. There's no way Ganymede can provide that. Plus, because... Humans are an invasive species on Ganymede, and there's no natural check on their population. They're going to quickly overtake Ganymede and every other planet, right? So the idea of solar system exploration being a, a valve, a, a safety valve, the way maybe the American West was seen to be in America, it turns out to be false. So he, he kind of um, undermines our expectations at this point. So what is the point of Ganymede? What is the point of it? And we actually get this discussion towards the end of the novel. Now, I'm not getting too much in the plot because there's not that much plot to talk about. Uh, basically, Bill, the Boy Scout, uh, becomes basically accepts working on a another another farmer's farm in order to you know support the family until the homestead can get going. Uh, he tries to he runs into trouble with the local Boy Scouts who don't want this invasive Boy Scout troop coming in. Of course, he didn't know there was already a Boy Scout troop there. But um, um, there's that. There's drama over there. Uh, George's stepdaughter, uh, um, the stepsister of our main character, who can't handle the pressure, the higher pressure on Ganymede, and is sick all the time and has to stay inside. And there's questions whether they have to go back. All of that sort of resolved. Ultimately, though, there's a major 
earthquake that kills off like half the colony and sends the rest to basically become refugees on Ganymede while they recover and reorient themselves. And it's during this that they have a conversation with some of the other settlers who are surviving the earthquake. And one of them talks about, and he's kind of maybe a Heinlein, you know, prophetic voice that's thrown into the story. He sort of says, well, he says directly um, that Ganymede will never be the safety valve for population. It's basically going to be a survivalist holdout of humanity because humanity is going to have a civil war over resources and population. That's the end result of the Malthusian crisis is always going to be war and violence and mass death. And that will maybe solve the crisis, although there's doubt about that, too, because we're told, like, even during World War II, global populations went up. So even in the worst war, the bloodiest war in human history, global populations went up. That's, I think that's not true in pre-modern times, though, because we do know the Thirty Years' War led to a decrease in Germany's population. Uh, the Ming-Qing transition in China led to a decrease in population. But, uh, you know, war itself is not guaranteed to lower, you can't kill enough people on the battlefield to lower population. You have to like devastate people's like, you know, living conditions, their ability to survive. Um, and so he says, that's not what we're about. We're about create, like giving a rebirth to humanity almost, like giving humanity a second chance after they consume themselves on earth. And we have to be independent because within 20, 30, 40 years at the most, when earth falls into civil war, and violence, they won't be able to supply us. So it's essential that we live on our own. Again, and this is why it's hard not to think, oh yes, this is again a metaphor for a certain interpretation of American history. The idea of America as a refugees for certain adventurous types of Europeans who can't live in the old way anymore and want to try out in a new world, but also Europe's gonna consume itself in war and violence and, and so you know, it's not going to be a safe place for anyone, and it's going to decline. It's going to be the center of humanity is going to shift then to the stars. We almost get a, a reminder of some of the themes in the Green Hills of Earth stories with this idea that there's a certain type of people who are best off back home and a certain type of people who are best off in the stars. And they're basically, it's predicted that they'll become two different branches of humanity, separate in very essential ways. Um, both in, in their spirit, in their culture. And I think this is the running theme in Heinlein's work at this time. So um, what else happens in the story? I, I think those are some of the big themes we get here, like ecology, Malthusian crisis, uh, a new birth of humanity. Uh, Plot-wise, like I said, there's not that much happening. There's some wonderful s stuff about, like, the, about apple trees being planted and the, f the only tree on Ganymede and how Bill is trying to plant his own trees. Uh, that's a nice story. There's actually a chapter called Johnny Appleseed uh, about that. So the future of Ganymede is bright once the soil is laid, once the ecological foundation for prosperity is there. It will be a prosperous colony. It's just going to take a little bit of time to establish that. But it's going to be a new type of like humanity is the suggestion we get at the end. All right, what else is going on here? Uh, there's another lost boy scene. I think Heinlein's kind of wearing out my patience here by this point of this kind of narrative of 
of, for some reason, boys get lost out in the wilderness on another planet, and then they have to use their gumption to get by. I think this was totally unnecessary to the story. Uh, I guess he needed some kind of action drama towards the end, but basically, um, there, uh, Bill is lost out in the in Ganymede, can't find his way back. Eventually, runs into some apparently uh, artificially constructed crystals, which they figure out are artificial, and then um, and eventually run in. And one of them's injured, of course. So it's there's a timer on this whole thing eventually though this leads them to find a spaceship which apparently was built by not natives of ganymede but some other pre-human civilization in the solar system and that gives them a ship that they somehow figure out how to use with their boy scout intelligence and then they fly back to safety in the final chapter bill decides he's not going to go back to earth he's going to be a permanent settler on ganymede which is kind of what we predicted was going to happen so that's the rough rundown of this of this uh, story. Is it good? Yes, yes, it's very, very good. This I, I do find the ending a little repetitive at this point because I think we saw it in Red Planet. Uh, we sort of see this this the the same thing with a hidden spaceship and and saving the day at the end in um, in Space Cadet. Kind of in rocket ship Galileo too, because they were also stranded on the moon. They had to steal the Nazi ship. Um, so basically, in all four of the juveniles, we have some kind of lost and Deus Ex Machina saint in the day at the end. And I think that what's that's not why you go to this book for. You go for to this book because of the richness of its of its you know in, investigation of what it would actually be to be homesteaders on another planet and and the philosophy about that. I, I think that's what makes that, this story strong. And I think still, despite that, that aspect and maybe the Boy Scout stuff is a little unnecessary too, but it works fine, especially when he makes it a conflict between the, the local Boy Scouts and the ones they create on the ship because they call themselves the Boy Scouts of Ganymede, but there already is a Boy Scouts of Ganymede. And the leaders of it are kind of thuggish and not, not as nice as... Uh, the troop formed on the, the Mayflower on their ship. So um, anything else to say about this? I don't know. I think that's about it. There's so much good stuff there. I, I, I think I guess there's the other family. We didn't talk about the other family that they that's their neighbors on their homestead um, and that they're like very much a salt of the earth kind of hardy. You got this image of these guys in overalls, these huge, massive Farmers, not fat, just huge from work and labor. Uh, very salt of the earth types, and they, these are the most prosperous types of settlers we have with these huge, hearty meals. Like the descriptions of the meals and just how bountiful they are is Heinlein seems to have a lot of fun in describing that. In contrast to the like the scarcity on Earth, um, it's never really fully. We don't get the full economics of how this scarcity, post scarcity on Ganymede, is possible. Because they are struggling for things like basic tech. They're struggling to have enough machines. They're struggling to have pay dirt. But it's just, I think the idea is there's, the agriculture is so easy because there's no predators and no weeds that these farmers are able to like produce more food than they'll, they'll ever need. But a lot of meat, too. I, I think we're missing maybe the ecology of raising animals on this planet because 
that takes a lot of land and a lot of agriculture to support an animal population. Um, but uh, there's plenty, a lot of meat. Maybe it's, yeah, I, I can't remember anything about the raising animals, any details about it anyways, but there's plenty of those too uh, in the book. Clearly, Ganymede is meant to be presented as a bountiful cornucopia kind of frontier community. Um, it's just going to take some while to get it settled. Um, anything else to say about this? Um, I don't think so. I think it's a great book, though. I really, really did enjoy this one. Um, I'm zipping through kind of fast because I'm a little cramped for time right now. Got some other things I got to do now, but um, it's been fun. So I like this one. Um, next up will be another book I like. It's basically a book. It's it's a novella, but we'll spend one episode on it. It's called The Man Who Sold the Moon. Um, and then we'll have another uh short story called Cliff and the Calories, which is uh, kind of a girl short story about dieting. It's not set, it's not a science fiction novel. So we'll look at those two stories next before getting onto uh, Between Planets, I think is the next juvenile. So it won't take long before we get there, but for, uh, yeah, this will be it for now. So uh, next time I'll talk about The Man Who Sold the Moon, another fun, awesome story that I should have quite a lot to say about. It's actually quite relevant to our own times, I think. So that's it for now. Uh, I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.